If we ever needed the Lord before, we're sure gonna need him now, yeah. We're sure gonna need him now, yeah. We're sure gonna need him now. If we ever needed the Lord before, we're sure gonna need him now, yeah. We need him and we need him now. Amen. In 1985, I was one year out of college. I had just moved to Philadelphia, had recently come out as a lesbian, and I was looking for friends and a place to belong. After a short search of local music groups, I found what would become the answer to my prayers. I auditioned for and then joined the LLGLBTPACGC the Lavender Light Gay, Lesbian, Bisexual, Transgendered, People of All Color Gospel Choir. And for one full glorious year, I sang and prayed and performed and recorded and praised God with the most exquisitely diverse group of people I have ever had the honor of being loved by. At the beginning of every rehearsal, Rehearsal, the 35 of us would sing the song that I just opened with today. And then we would stand in a large circle and we would hold on to each other's hands and we would pray, praying in a way that this little white girl had never prayed before. It was a completely new thing for me. I was raised a proper Presbyterian from the Midwest. <laughs> and it was way out of my comfort zone. But for reasons I can't explain on my own, I stayed. I stayed with that group. I stayed through that year of praying that way. And I am so very grateful that I did. I started to learn during that season a different way, a different experience of what it means to pray. Praying for them was like sitting at a huge family dinner table with each person sharing a joy or a sorrow from their day in the most tangible, real language. There were no theological terms or constructs. There was nothing formulaic or memorized about their prayers as I had learned to do. This was simply just talking to Jesus. And I had a hard time wrapping my head and heart around it all. Each person's words were full of heart and life, hurt and joy, struggle and passion, a simple and therefore profound conversation as each if were talking directly to their best friend and their best friend just happened to be named Jesus. Jesus was as present to them as the air we breathe. And after a year with that group, not only did I know nearly a hundred gospel songs by heart, but I had been invited into and witnessed meeting and experiencing the divine in a new and for me, a life-changing way. That experience came to me this past week as a beautiful confluence. Today, we continue our journey in this sermon series, exploring the rule of life called the way of love with our stop today, inviting us to explore the discipline of what it means to pray. And we are also celebrating gay pride and the expansiveness of God's love across the rainbow of LGBTQIA plus experiences. 
We began two weeks ago introducing this rule of life, an ancient practice to help us pattern our days as a guide or a set of seven symbolic actions, stones, cairns we're calling them, stones that meet us as markers along the way, introducing one of seven different spiritual disciplines. Turn, learn, pray, worship, bless, go, and rest. We began two weeks ago with turn. Turn was the offering that we might hear the discipline in three different ways. First, the reminder that we have agency. To turn is the gift and responsibility of making choices in our lives every day, large and small, turning, turning towards love, towards generosity, towards healing, towards hope. Second, to turn is the need to watch and listen. To turn is to discern how we believe God is calling us to be in the world, choosing courage over comfort. Learning to listen deeply for the voice inside of us calling to our better angels. And then finally, turning is about the promise of infinite do-overs, that whenever we find ourselves moving into the center of our lives, that we are asked to turn, choose again, and find the path that leads our heart exposed to the world. Then last week, we moved on to our second stone along the way, our second stop in this spiritual journey, learn. And as we just heard our presiding Bishop Michael Curry reminding us of this practice, to learn is the invitation to commit a daily uh, to the daily exploration of scripture and other sacred texts drawing us closer and deeper to an experience of what it might mean to follow Jesus. If you were here last week, you indulged my prerogative to confess and explain just a little bit about my lifetime of challenge trying to embrace this part of the practice. For so many of us, Scripture has not been easy to embrace. It has been weaponized. It has been misinterpreted. It has been proof-texted to support bigotry. It has been used to justify unconscionable acts of discrimination and has caused irreparable harm to so many of us in marginalized groups. I shared one helpful resource I have found along the way, and in the end, I am so grateful that my work with this practice in the way of love continues to heal and grow and expand in my life. I now embrace scripture and the discipline to learn, replacing cynicism and hurt with a hermeneutic of hope-filled expectation, becoming one of many in this beautiful community of learners. So today we arrive at our third stone, our third cairn, our third marker on this spiritual journey, pray. In all honesty, this too isn't always an easy stop along the journey for me. <laughs> what kind of priest am I? As I think back to the story I opened with, what I didn't say was that I was pretty judgy about how those people prayed at first. It was new. It was different. It didn't sound right to me. And it made me uncomfortable. But I didn't leave. They were amazing people. 
and I grew to love them as we sang together. But still, I never once prayed the way that they did. At the same time, it was during that year that I began, slowly, to consider what it might mean to me personally to not just believe in the story and the life of Jesus and his lessons, but to start to consider the possibility of trying to figure out what it would mean to me to pray the way they did and how that might affect my spiritual life. It was hard for me at first, and still to this day, I struggle with voices in my head, arguing and wrestling with my doubts and inadequacies. But I tried then, and I still do to this day, to stay out of my own way. I think what was and sometimes is still so hard about this particular prayer approach is how vulnerable it makes us feel. It would be one thing to pray this way in private, perhaps, but in a group? I was never taught that was okay. In fact, part of the Midwestern charm and ethos taught early and often to those of us who grew up in these lands is that you're taught to never talk about your feelings. So the idea of praying that way, well, it just didn't seem right. It would simply never have occurred to me from my upbringing to believe that Jesus would be the least bit interested in just hearing about my day or how I was feeling about anything. No way. To pray that way would require a level of emotional exposure I was not familiar with and was certainly never encouraged to try. That kind of prayer requires a different way of being in the world altogether. A way that embraces a commitment to being in touch with your truest self and revealing what's really going on. In fact, it's the way I see our characters living out their faith in the gospel lesson we just heard this morning. Today we move on to the next chapter in Mark, And we find a thick passage weaving together two different healing stories centered on three main characters. It begins and ends with Jairus and his 12-year-old daughter. And in the middle is the story of a woman suffering from 12 years of hemorrhaging. And while both situations are very different, and each of these characters are different, as I look at these passages through the lens of prayer, they seem to have something important in common. Jairus is the leader of the, a leader in the synagogue, a man of power and prestige. The bleeding woman is pained and marginalized with no agency. The 12-year-old daughter is near death with no rights or voice in her cultural context. Each is so different. Each has a different status and social location in that context. And yet... All three are hurting and brought to their knees, metaphorically at least, in these vulnerable times in their lives. Jairus is a father, helpless to heal his child, holding nothing back with his impassioned plea to Jesus for healing. The woman has spent all her money. She must have been shunned, and yet she pushes through the crowd at great risk to herself to touch Jesus' cloak for healing. And the child is presumed dead already, 
surrounded only by the grief of parents. What they seem to have in common is first the acknowledgement of how vulnerable they truly are, and then, from that place, Jesus responds to each with compassion and a return to wholeness. Now, let me be clear. This is not a noticing that all Jesus stories have happy endings or that all we need to do is ask for what we want and we shall receive it in kind as if praying to Jesus is akin to evoking a spiritual Christmas list. Clearly not. But what I am suggesting, probably more for me to hear than anyone else, is that prayer can change us in direct proportion to our willingness to show up fully in our lives, including being vulnerable in the most fragile and beautiful moments of our lives. What our gospel characters have in common today is a posture of open presence. There seems to be no distance or disconnect between what is going on in their lives and what they are able to yearn for. Grief and tragedy can do that to most of us, of course, but what I want to suggest today is that prayer might be best understood as a practice or a ritual, a way of being in the world that can help us connect time and time again with our truest selves. Some of us grew up learning a definition and practice of prayer that was something limited to something akin to like, quote, quiet conversations we have with God while no one is listening, with our hands held in a certain position, or the recitation of certain words, like the Lord's Prayer. And while that may be true, at least in part, what I have come to know is that prayer might be more animated and generative in our lives if we could simply expand the definition of prayer to any way of being that privileges the divine for even a moment. This more expansive definition for me includes all of our traditional prayer forms while also acknowledging the ability of music, poem, quiet, stillness, walking, movement, all of that as a different way of praying, including dinner table style conversation with Jesus. At the end of the day, what feels most important is that we engage this spiritual practice in any number of ways. As 13th century Persian poet and Sufi mystic Rumi says so beautifully, there are a thousand ways to kneel and kiss the ground, a thousand ways to go home again. So too are there a thousand ways to privilege the divine in our lives and come home to ourselves through kinds of different kinds of prayer. I have decided and others have said before that I am willing to risk being wrong about this way of living and loving and praying in the world. There is, I have learned, a different reality that is available to each of us when we can learn to be fully real and fully present to ourselves and to each other in times of prayer. May we continue this journey on the way of love, turning again and again 
towards love, learning to crack our hearts wide open, and then praying with God and the Spirit, trusting always to guide us home. May it be so.